You're listening to Behind the Note Podcast, brought to you by a musician for musicians. Here, you will get advice toward a successful music career. This show is made to educate, inspire, motivate, and empower. Now, here is your host, Chris Davis. Hello, everyone. Thanks for pressing play. We have a great show for you today. Some of the topics we're going to talk about are the snowball effect and how it can get you more work. We're also going to talk about the urgency of the hang. And we're also going to talk about intangibles that lead to success. And if you stick around long enough, you'll hear a really cool story about bassist Ron Carter. But first, let me introduce you to today's guest. Today's guest is featured in Downbeat Magazine in the March 2014 edition. You're going to want to pick that up, especially after you hear this interview. He has an impressive 24 recordings under his belt as a leader but even more impressively are the 125 recordings as a sideman wow it's my pleasure to introduce to you today pianist george colligan thank you george for joining us today on the podcast my pleasure good to be here so i want to let you know uh, why i'm doing this show and so we can kind of be on the same page when i graduated college i was pretty much hit with the dose of reality i didn't understand all of my options uh that were available to me when and i wanted to make a make a living playing music so i i have learned some lessons you're a professional you're making a living in music and i think it'd be good for people to hear from you and um also, uh, just want to motivate people, inspire them, educate them at the same time, educate them through your story. I mean, my story is interesting because um, I came up as a classical trumpet player. Wow. You know what I mean? So I, I, I pursued that. And in a way, I mean, obviously, some people have different feelings about Wynton Marsalis. You know, you can't deny he's a great trumpet player for sure. He was one of the big motivators for a lot of people in the 80s, young musicians, because you talk to older musicians and they, you know, because we have this idea of like, of what what was happening in jazz at various historical points. And a lot of the guys in Baltimore, D.C., they said, because I grew up near Baltimore, Columbia, Maryland. And they said that there were no young people playing jazz, you know, so Wynton Marsalis did inspire a generation of jazz musicians. And he continues to inspire. But back then it was like, here's a young guy. And also the fact that he played classical too as a trumpet player, that was really inspiring for me to, you know, to have somebody that does both so well. And I was really interested in jazz. And in a way, I think I pursued classical trumpet because that's what Wynton Marsalis did, you know even though knowing that I wanted to play jazz. But also I, I also got a degree in music education because I, I idolized my band directors. So I thought that being a band director, you know, that that was something I could do. You know what I mean? And like I was one of those kids that's always in the band room, you know, eat my lunch in the band room, that sort of thing. So I said, well, maybe I'll do classical trumpet and see where it goes with jazz. I didn't really have the the concept of what it was like to be a professional musician 
But to make a, a, a long story a little shorter, I, I really got into jazz and I got into playing piano. You know, in a certain sense, I mean, people love whatever instrument that they start with or have a certain uh, affinity for various instruments, but um, you never know. I mean, I think there's, there's nothing wrong with playing a bunch of instruments. You know, it is possible. There's only so many hours in the day, but, you know, there's, you know what I mean? You never know what, what instrument you might end up on. It's very common to start on an instrument and all of a sudden, I thought you used to play drums or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah, Jack DeJunette, for example, started as a pianist, gravitated towards drums, and he said that um, Eddie Harris told him, I think this is your thing. I think drums is going to be your thing. So he ended up doing that. So with me, it was kind of like the gigs started happening. And this is going back to 1988 and 89. All of a sudden, I had gigs on piano. I never imagine myself becoming a jazz pianist you know what I mean it was uh, yeah I just figured I would be a band director I would play trumpet or something and then all of a sudden hey we want to give you money to play piano that was amazing that was kind of luck although I did I mean at a certain point I did work hard and I always worked hard I like to practice and I like to listen to music and I like to check out stuff so when did you make the change to piano how old were you? Or? I, I mean, I had about a month's worth of piano lessons when I was in second grade. It didn't go anywhere after that. I started trumpet in fourth grade. Wasn't really that serious about it. Got to middle school and there was a, the band director was very different, you know, and I, I got inspired. But then I, I didn't really get into piano until I was 15 and I took, just took a class in high school, like class piano. And I started to just work on it on my own. And I, I was trying to write music and just, you know, pick out chords and whatever. And, and so when I got to college, and I was hanging out with um, this trumpet player named Alex Norris. And uh, he was, you know, telling me, you got to learn piano. You got to learn what's happening harmonically. And so I was really only playing piano just for that, just to kind of understand things. And also I, w I was frustrated with trumpet, you know, the chops. Thing is, <laughs> yes, I do understand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then all of a sudden, I found myself knowing enough to be able to play a gig, to 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 be able to cover a gig on piano, and it, it just kind of snowballed after that. It was like once people found out I played piano, they were like, "Oh, we have a gig for you." You yeah. know, I mean, piano. So how long did that take? Uh, when did you start? When did you play your first gig on piano? How old were you then? I feel like I was eighteen or nineteen. Okay. Something like that. Like but I four year turnaround. Yeah. 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 Yeah, something like that. And but and then it really wasn't until I mean I I was gigging a lot on piano, but it wasn't until I graduated cuz what happened is I had a, a dinner theater gig that paid $25 a night on trumpet. And then I was playing piano, I was making $110 a gig, and I said, "Huh." <laughs> I think I'd rather make $110 and not have pain in my face, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah, man. So, you know, so so that was an easy choice. And I, I, I graduated with a degree from Peabody Conservatory in Baltimore with classical trumpet and music ed. And then I kind of just threw that aside and said, I'm going to play piano. And it just snowballed after that. I was freelancing. Now, just to say that, 
the late 80s and 90s, it was a different time. Things have changed pretty dramatically in the past. I want to say since 9-11 and maybe even within the past five years, things for working musicians, I mean, just the work a day, get gigs to pay the rent type of thing, that's really changed. It's, it's a variety of issues. It's a lot of, there's a lot more musicians who are trying to do that, and there's also fewer opportunities. And just our society, because people are online and people aren't going out as much. Some of that is, I think, in the United States. I, I see Europe and Japan as being more open for performing because there's more money for culture. But in a way, things are, have, have dried up a bit in the states, in in most towns, you know, and and certainly when you look at, at at many decades, I mean, people told me in the '80s, you know, piano players in Baltimore in the '80s, they play like not only six nights a week, seven nights a week, or they might play four gigs in one day. So there have been periods where there's been a lot of work, and then of course it ebbs and flows. Of course, the whole idea of being freelance, anything is tough. I think it's tough for some people who like to live in a house or live in a, <laughs> you know what I mean? Or to, yes. to make regular payments to anything. That's something that I, um, for years, it, it's not, I don't think it's easy for anybody. You know what I mean? Like even if you um, make a lot of money on your gigs, still the idea that you don't know where your next, cause you might, I don't know, make $30,000 and then all of a sudden you make nothing. That can be hard, you know? Yeah. So that that's something. So all of these things, I think, um, at the very least, the, the, the idea of becoming a working musician, I don't think, I think we need to be current. We need to look at our current situation. I need, think we need to be realistic. I think, I mean, without being negative, because it's easy to just be like, oh, it's hopeless, you know? There is hope. There really is hope. And But I think it's just in how you look at it. You have to be versatile. I believe that versatility can can get you through. Some people cannot be versatile. It's and it's not it's not that they physically can't, it's just that, you know, the artistic temperament for some is I can only do this. You know what I mean? Like Thelonious Monk could only do what he did. So he struggled for a long time. He eventually got his due, but it took a while. You might be one of those kind of people, and there's nothing wrong with that. But you can't know. There's no way you can know. You may never get your due. But the trade-off is, well, you were true to your artistic self. And that may not translate into financial gain. But you have the reward of doing something meaningful with your life. You know what I mean? Some people, I mean, there's people who make a lot of money and at a certain point they look back and they're like, well, what did I really do? I mean, I, I made money, but you know, what did they do beyond that? You know what I mean? Whereas, and now maybe they provided for their family and all that is cool and everything. But for some people, particularly artists, the so the, the, the soul of an artist, the mentality of an artist is like, I, I need to create, I need to express something. This is why I'm here. I need to 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 educate to to um, rearrange things to make something new. That's just 
in some ways it's, it can be a curse. A, a lot of times artists are perpetually dissatisfied. You know what I mean? They're yeah. always trying to, you know. In search of yes the next thing or yeah yeah so but 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 on that on that track uh so being versatile if you can be like to me people who are versatile people who can be accompanists as well as leaders and you can make money that way you know yeah i'm glad you brought that up because um i wanted to talk to you about this i was on your website of course i was checking out your website and i saw some i saw something that was pretty freakish in my opinion, which yes. was 24 recordings as a leader. Yes. Oh, my uh-huh. goodness. But <laughs> even more impressive, uh-huh. I think I counted somewhere around 125 as a sideman. Yes. <laughs> oh, my, oh, my goodness. So, <laughs> hey, guys, this is this is who we're talking to here. So put, put everything in, pers- in perspective. Yes. Um, well, th- that's the thing is, um, uh, well, the leader thing, that's, that's a different story. But um, in terms of being a side man, I mean, and, and when you consider the fact that Ron Carter has been on 3,000, 4,000 recordings, you know, um, I think Milt Hinton may have even beat him for that. You, you know, there's people like that, Kenny Barron, uh, Buster Williams. Yeah, all, this is know. true. But I want to, I want to point out that those, those guys are very, popular i mean in the musicians world they're famous yes and and we're not famous right but it's still possible to to it, it is, to do it is well possible for yeah and, well i lived in new york and... for 15 years okay so the new york scene there are people recording even still today it's it's not like it was where you could you know there are lots of i mean and then people talk about you know the the studio scene of the seventies or whatever, where people were really making a lot of money. But you know uh, there were labels, big labels, small labels, European labels, what have you, Japanese labels who would come to New York to do record dates. I was, you know, I just had a good reputation. You know, I had a rep. I mean, and that's something that I really have been talking to my students about a lot lately. You know, and it's something that, especially here on the West Coast. You know, there's certain there's a certain lifestyle that lends itself to uh, this is going to sound bad, but, you know, it's like there's a, I mean, the generalization is laid back. The West Coast is laid back, but there's there's being laid back and then there's just a flake. So the, the question or the decision that people have to make is that do you want to be known as a flake? You know, do you want to have a re- reputation? Because a lot of times it's more about your reputation than about your playing necessarily. You know what I mean? Especially as a sideman, you know? I mean, I could on paper say I'm the greatest piano player within 100 miles. And whatever you have happening musically, I'm going to do that the best. But if I don't show up on time or if I don't show up at all or if I'm like, oh, I thought I could make it, but I can't make it. You know what I mean? That sort of thing, or you forget the music or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, yes. gotta be responsible. Exactly, and it's yeah. it's that's something you don't necessarily have to go to school to learn, you know. But you'd be surprised. It's like people who are really talented, they'll be flaky, and then they'll wonder why they're not getting the calls. It's interesting. Um, 
there was a student at Juilliard when I was teaching there who now is actually quite successful. He's, I mean, he's always been very talented, but now he's, he's actually a very, very successful uh, bassist. But in his jury, uh, Ron Carter was the, the bass player. Ron Carter was um, was talking to him, and I guess he had developed a little bit of a rep of being a little flaky around school. And Ron told him, he said, "You know, I've only been late to a gig once in my entire career." And everyone else on the panel was like, "What? Like <laughs> really?" And he was like, "Yeah, I was only late once." And that's because they had closed 7th Avenue for a parade and I couldn't get across. That was the only time in 50 years. Countless record dates, gigs, performances. That was the only time he was ever late. And that boggles the mind, you know. So his, his philosophy was that, you know, it's not necessarily be about being the best player. It's about why do you have are people calling you for a reason because they know you give them something particular because you're responsible because they know they don't they're not gonna have to worry about you i think that's really i i'm finding as a leader my biggest concern is am i gonna have to worry about my sidemen i want people that i know are gonna be there and i don't have to think about it. if i'm like oh man i hope he makes the flight or like blah 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 you know what I mean? And yeah. again, some people that it's just their nature and I don't, I don't hate them for it or, you know, that's just their, their path, whatever. Not yeah. everybody's good at everything, that's you know, true. that's, but, I but think this be, is a good time for me to share a story, uh, just for the listeners benefit. Please. And, uh, once I, I used to work on a cruise ship mm -hmm. and my job was as the relief trumpet player. So, mm. It wasn't normal. I didn't know this at the time, but I went on one ship for a month. Then I went to another ship, and then I'll go to another ship. And so one particular day, I got to the stage. Uh, it was about 10 minutes before showtime. Mm -hmm. And keep in mind, we live here. Right, know, right, right. You know, and yeah, we play many shows a week. Mm -hmm. And anyway, on this particular day, I got to the stage about 10 minutes before the before showtime. That wasn't normal for me. For me, that was late. But um, <laughs> but I was the last person to mm -hmm. arrive that day. And uh, my musical director let me know about it. He wasn't happy about me showing up at that time. Mm -hmm. And uh, I could have done better. I, I didn't know that would be a problem for him. But he really gave me a hard time. So I made sure that I was earlier than that from that point on but i really believe that was because he didn't know me because i was a new guy the mm. next day no the, well the same week i thought this was kind of ironic the other trumpet player actually slept through the start time and there was not a word said to him really really now that was probably another issue but mm. 10 10 minutes Approaching uh, performance time, and then five minutes, and he's, there was still no sign of him. And the musical director was kind of cool, like laid back. Well, he'll be here. I know him. And um, he was. Unfortunately, in that situation, he didn't show up because he he wow. was asleep. And um, I just wanted to paint that picture when you're normally dependable, and and, and something did happen. Uh, the reason why he was asleep, but um, when you're when you know when you have a relationship with people, that's 
really is able to put their mind at ease. Right. That's what you're getting at. Well, yeah. And, you know, I'll say this. I mean, I I don't know in this situation there, there can definitely be what appear to be double standards for sure. I mean, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. who knows? Maybe he was so close with the director that maybe he was willing to overlook it, but you never know. You'd be surprised. I've had situations where good friends of mine, I had to let them go, essentially. Or I had to say, look, you're my friend, but I cannot take a risk. And I, I see, I notice this a lot. I mean, and you also don't know whether that person, like maybe it seemed as though uh, he got off easy, but maybe he never got hired again. You know what I mean? Like yes. that's thing that can happen. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and there's politics too, and a lot of that is always leaves you scratching your head. That's unavoidable. But I think in general, I've been fortunate to be in situations that were very not political. A lot of times I've been hired because they wanted somebody good and reliable. Like I wasn't necessarily the, the inside choice, if you will. There's always the hang. In New York, it's like you got to hang out. You know what I mean? And, and that's something that we don't teach people. You Talk know, about like, that for a second. Why is it so important to hang out? Because people forget about you easily. You know what I mean? You almost have to really like it's it, the, there's what's called hanging out, and then there's like the hustle. You know what I mean? And people, music students, don't have any concept of what the hustle is. The hustle is is getting out there and looking under every rock for a gig and and trying to meet people and make connections letting people know who you are and also do it in a way that's not annoying that's the that is a hard part too it's a very it's a delicate art almost i have to say i mean again i was lucky cuz i got on people's lists without having to to try as hard as maybe others have but it's funny i, I remember uh, I played uh, 1996 with a trombone player um, named Robin Eubanks. I'm trying to remember how he even called me, but somehow he got my number, and or I met him somewhere, and he called me, and we did a week at Sweet Basil's. It was a great gig. I felt good about what I was doing. I felt like we had a good rapport. And then um, I noticed that maybe about a year later, um, he had, uh, Robin had done a recording, and he had used another pianist, and I was kind of like, "Hmm, that's weird." I, I thought he's—I thought he had said he was going to call me for something, but he—he he didn't for whatever reason, you know. I said maybe I need to check in with him again, so I just called him. And this is—and again, I, I'm not a, a super outgoing. I consider myself more of a shy. Just general, I'm more shy than I've, I've worked on it. But called him and I said, "Hey, Robin." Um, just wanted to check in with you. I have a I have a cassette. This is a while ago. A cassette of um, when we played at Sweet Basil's, and I wanted you to just thought you might want to check it out. You know, and he called me back. He was like, "Oh man, I- I'm glad you called, man. I I hadn't thought about you. I, I want to give you some gigs." You know, so that whole thing is you never know who's thinking about you and who should be thinking about you. You know what I mean? That that whole thing is very it's very intangible, and, and the thing is you have to. You have to do it um, as a freelance person. You got to be working with a lot of cats. I mean, unless you're one of the fortunate few that has some kind of steady gig, or you're working with an artist that has 
you know, 200 dates a year or whatever. You know what I mean? But I, I always found, I mean, there were very few times when I felt like I could just work with one person. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like you kind of have to have um, your irons in 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 many fires. Uh, there was one year where I worked with 30 different bands that all had original music. You know what I mean? It's like that's how I kept it going is just being the call for 30 different groups, you know. So for and, you, is it harder to be a – or I shouldn't say that. Is it more challenging to be a sideman or a leader of a band? Uh, both have serious pros and cons. Um, being a sideman is – it used to be that you couldn't really be a leader until you were a sideman in jazz. You know, you had to prove yourself. You know, you played with Art Blakey and then you did your own thing. Or you played with um, Horace Silver and then you did your own thing. You know, you went through the process. You know, or you played with Maynard Ferguson or you played with Betty Carter a lot, or, or Miles. You know, a lot of those people, like you look at the, the former band members of Miles Davis and and you see, wow, it's everybody, you know, or, or Blakey, you know. These days, that's a little bit different. Some people are able to bypass that. In some ways, people now bypass it because there there are no bands to play with like that, you know. Um, there's no apprenticeships the way there was. So, I mean, even, even Wynton Marsalis played with Art Blakey. You know what I mean? So at least he had that. That was sort of like a badge of honor. So it's like if you're somebody that gets called to be a side man, that's like, hey, somebody liked my playing or like I'm asked to be an accompanist. That's, you know, that proves my worth. So, I mean, I'm honored by the fact that I was a, a side man of choice for a bunch of different players, you know, and, and continue to be when you're the side man you are a side man and you're not or side person, whatever. You don't have necessarily a lot of say in the direction of the music. You can do it through how you play, but if Gary Bart says, I want to play witchcraft, you don't say, I don't want to play that. <laughs> you know? He's he'd be like, Well, get your own band. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that that in a nutshell, I mean like um the past two nights I played with uh, Buster Williams uh in seattle and it was buster and uh, benny maupin and uh julian priester cindy blackman and it was amazing really amazing but i mean it's it's different than when i do my own stuff of course my belief and i think buster would agree with this too because he's been a sideman a lot is that when you're a sideman you can use your own judgment your own um philosophy but essentially you need to serve the leader at, at some level, you know what I mean? You can't just say, you know, this is how I want to do it. You're like, well, I mean, let's refer back to who's in charge, who's really running the show, you know, that sort of thing. That, that has to be honored. I mean, I, I, I mean there, again, there are collectives. And musically, you can play collectively, but oftentimes I do think that sometimes a little bit of a, not a dictatorship, but... Kind of to have have uh, having a band leader creates a focus, you know what I mean? Yes, it does. And they and they have the right to do that because they're the ones writing the checks. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? So that's and I think that's why a lot of people want to lead their own bands is because they want their own music and their own vision to come to 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 come to reality. That's why I want to 
lead my own bands more because I have my own story to tell that then that is it has to be different from Buster Williams but he's a part of it because I played with him so any musician that I've played with as a sideman they've influenced me and then I go and do it my way this is I mean this is like the 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 master and apprentice this is the, the I mean it's the process of life your parents are your masters in a sense and you are the apprentice and and you're you're showing I mean your your parents show you how it's done and they they are your influence but then at a certain point maybe around when you're 13 <laughs> you know do you have any kids I do you do, how many I have two children and okay. um, my oldest is two. Okay. And my youngest is uh, 11 months tomorrow, actually. All right. Yeah. Beautiful. You I might have hear four... them in about f- five minutes. <laughs> oh, yeah. My son was banging on the door before. <laughs> but uh, he's four. So it's just interesting because, like, yeah, your, your kids, they, they look up to you. But at a certain point, they want to do it their own way. So that's just the lineage. That's, that's um, the cycle of life, if you will. And I think this is a part of music too. I mean, it, it's it's normal that somebody who's worked with a lot of bands would say, "Hey, I'm going to do my own band," and that's cool. Tell us um, how how do you go about getting work as a leader? What is involved in that process? Well, this is the tricky part: is that you know, being a sideman can the, you don't have the, to worry about that. Exactly, you just wait for the phone to ring. Yeah. Or the email to come in, you know what I mean, and and that's that's a, a beautiful feeling, but when it's just you doing it, and and that can be uh, a way to respect your band leader more when you realize everything that's involved, all yeah. the pressure, and you have to pay. You got to pay your musicians. You got to pay your musicians. Uh, sometimes you might have to pay management or booking if if you're on that level, or mm-hmm. you need to do the managing and booking yourself, which is. I mean, the booking process is one that I'm noticing more and more, and certainly for myself, like we're all doing our own booking. It, there's a glut on the market of musicians, so when you try to contact a venue or a festival or what have you, it, it's not even um, uh, they wouldn't like your music or that they wouldn't want to have you play. I mean, it's just that there's so many. I mean, as you know, I'm I'm. Uh, jazz area coordinator at Portland State University. I get a lot of emails from students, from whatever. It's really hard to answer them all. There's so many. But you have to know that uh, someone who is in charge of of booking a a jazz club or festival, they get hundreds of emails a day. And there's just no way they can get to them all. So like, they may have the headliners, the famous people. Then they may have some people that they know. And then after that, it's really tough to get through. So that's one of the challenges of booking yourself is how do I get through? There's a lot of different ways you can do that. And it's changing. Every, everyone is, is uh, doing it themselves. So that's, and that's weird because, again, like most musicians spend their time on, well, how do I learn how to play? How do I do this on the instrument? And you don't spend a lot of time on, well, how do I become a booking agent? But now we're all forced to do that. That's what I talk about being versatile. You got to not only be a musician, you got to be a booking agent. You got to be a manager. You got to be, you know, a blogger. You got to have a podcast. You know what I mean? You got to, you you know what I mean? This is true. 
this is, you got to really diversify. So what's have- worked for you as far as booking and getting booked? Booking myself? Yeah. Well, it's not where I would like it to be, but what I've found is that, well, first of all, you know, this record that um, just came out has, I've been getting good press. It's, um, it's on the origin label. It's called uh, The Endless Mysteries. And I, I hired Jack DeJanet and Larry Grenadier. So I've been getting good press. So in terms of developing your name, I mean, you want to develop a following. But if you can develop your name within the jazz community and within the jazz press, that's supposedly can help you. I'm still waiting to see. Like I said, I've gotten some good press. But whether it's going to translate into the floodgates opening from my gigs is yet to be seen. What I've noticed in terms of just dealing with that problem of how do you get through to a club? Sometimes I just send the same email over and over and over. And you got you to gotta know that it's going to take a long time. But you have, to, you, have to, you have to understand the process. And it can be frustrating because there's some of us, including myself, have, have issues with rejection. You know what I mean? And so, first of all, you may, people may write back to you and say, I'm sorry, but we cannot book you at this time. And then you're just like, you know what I mean? Cause we, and and it's because it's your art, because you've put your heart and soul into it, it's, it's almost like uh, uh, a potential girlfriend or what have you, you know, rejecting you. You're just like, I'm sorry, but yeah. I, I don't have anything for you at this time, you know? And you're just like, but I thought we were special together. You know what I mean? Like that yeah. sort of thing. Like that can be hard. And, and, uh, I think what happens is, and, and this is why in a perfect world, it would be better to have a booking agent because then the booking agent can take the rejection and they can just let you know when they're successful. You know what I mean? You, you know, the artist is not supposed to be thinking about that. So, but now that we're doing it ourselves, we have to develop thick skins about it. We have to be able to say, okay, I didn't get this, but maybe I'll get this, you know, and, and really, really buckle down and do it. You know, if, if we have the belief, I mean, it's a, it's a lifelong process. You know, you may never get what you think is your due, but I think that it, it, it's like if you, you really, um, I mean, the journey is, is what it's about. It's hard to see that, though, because we want to get to the end. We want to get that notoriety. We want to get that big gig mm-hmm. or the, that big tour or whatever. It may not, it, it, you know, the, 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 the great things that happen to us may not be exactly what we're looking for, but something good's going to happen. And sometimes it's just the, the spiritual growth that, that happens. Yeah, so yes. um, I don't have the, the, the definitive answer because I think whatever my answer is is not the same for everyone. Oh, no, of course it isn't. But you know what I mean? I learn from, yeah. from your story. Yeah. Right. But I mean, I, right now I'm in a, a pretty good place in my life. I mean, I have a, a, a university job that gives me, um, I mean, I enjoy teaching and I, I believe I have a lot to offer as a teacher and I have um, steady income, which allows me to focus more on my own gigs, you know, and do the gigs that I want to do. So that's, this goes back to sort of like versatility 
and I, I love to play as a side man and I you know I, I like to play different music and stuff but I guess I've sort of decided that it's time for me to focus more on my own stuff or just really do be more selective about the kind of gigs I want to do now the problem is my desire hasn't caught up with my financial situation so now it'd be one thing if I could say oh I want to be a leader bang I got gigs as a leader that can pay for everything my house whatever mm-hmm. so that for most people that's not the case you know what I mean so we we teach or some people get day jobs there's no shame in that you know especially if you have another skill or whatever you need to do I mean you, that's part of the hustle too I mean you don't just sit there and I mean, it's even been suggested. This is this is kind of how deep it's gotten. Is that some people say just plan on getting a day job <laughs> and use the day job to fund your artistic projects. You know, and I mean, again, it depends on what kind of person you are. Now, I know a very good saxophonist from um, from Oregon. She's you know she's doing a few things, but. Uh, she's been financing her situation with um, wedding gigs out on Long Island. You know, that's paying her rent. You know what I mean? That's her day job, you know? So she's using that to fund the artistic things, you know? So you never know. I mean, um, so for me right now, my day job is is teaching music, you know? And, but luckily, it is still music, you know what I mean? And yes. I still feel like I'm a part of the music. I mean, I... I don't have a lot of skills in other areas. So, you know what I mean? Like, I, you know, if I could just be a banker or be a, a psychologist or something, I, I mean, I, I guess maybe I would consider doing that. But, but I'm very lucky to, to have the job that I have at Portland State and, uh, and to also be, um, be able to still do musical things. I mean, I'm, I have as much passion for the music as ever, if not more. You know, and I'm able to to do a lot of things, uh, a lot of high level musical things, recording and 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 you know playing with Jack DeJohnette and playing with Buster Williams and I played with Lenny White recently and and so I'm still getting to do things, and I can also come off the road and be at home with my family and and those yeah. kind of things. You know what I mean? Do you so travel, um, or I should say, how often do you travel, if if any? Well, um, I used to travel about half the year. That was from 1995, I'd say, till mid-2000s. I was traveling usually 100, 100, 150 days out of the year, you know. Um, and that's I don't the time ha- where you married? Uh, I got married in 2005. So, okay. But it's, it seemed like sort of the later part of that decade, uh, I was traveling less. But still, I'd say... I might go out for two weeks, three weeks here, you know. I used to go out for like eight weeks, nine weeks, ten weeks, go to Europe and stuff, you know. Now it almost seems like a few days is a long time, you know. But um, So I don't travel nearly as much as I used to. I went out with Jack, Jack DeJohnette, in the fall for almost a month. It was like three and a half weeks, and uh, that was cool, you know, all over Europe. With Lenny White, it was maybe four days. Uh, Buster Williams was a few days. Um, so it's here and there. And then, and then I do some of my own things too. Weekends, short little trips. Some people love to be on the road. That's another thing that we don't necessarily talk about is the, 
the realities of the road. I mean, you've been on a cruise ship. Have you done a lot of other traveling? Or I've done some traveling, but by choice, I primarily stay home. And, uh-huh. uh, I, I made that decision when I was a teenager. Ah, um, okay. And I'm pretty much living the life that I wanted to live, married with <laughs> children at home, and I get a lot of work here. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, I did the, I did the cruise ship before I was married, mm-hmm. and uh, I did some some light traveling, just a couple weeks here and there. But okay. I'm I don't like to be on the road. It's not fun for me. I just don't like doing it. Right. But of course, when you get to the stage, it's like, oh yeah, this is this is why I do it. This is worth it. But right. then you're done playing. It's like, man, <laughs> I gotta gotta travel again some more. You know, so. so much of it is not playing. Exactly. So it's sitting on a plane. It's sitting in an airport. It's sitting on a bus. Sitting in a car, waiting for a car. You know what I mean? Trying to figure out what you're gonna eat. You know, uh, sitting around after the gig. I mean, all those things. And again, some people have figured out a way, either they just love it naturally, they love the whatever it is, the excitement or the the, the, the new the newness of it or whatever, you know. Some people I mean, everybody does different things. It used to be like people well, you know, it's interesting. I think people still have this idea of the life of the traveling jazz musician as like, oh, it's a party and Everybody's doing drugs and, and hooking up with groupies and like it's just a, a nonstop orgy of whatever, you know what I mean? And and when then when you find that that even that and maybe it happens some some little remnant of that might happen at some point, like you go out for a drink after mm-hmm. <laughs> that, like, oh well it was wild. We went out and had one <laughs> drink and went back to the room. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> That was as wild as it got. I mean, and I tour a lot with older guys. You know, Jack is over 70, and the rest of his band this this fall was older than me. So they don't necessarily want to, like, go out and hang till 5 in the morning and then get up. They want to go back to the hotel and go relax, yeah. go to sleep. Yeah, there's no... It's a plane in the morning. Yeah, there, there aren't a lot of shenanigans like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Again, depends. Depends. So, and and whatever your thing is, but I, but I think I think essentially like the party traveling, the wildness. Well, also it was a there were other eras. You know, the seventies was sex, drugs, and rock and roll. You know what I mean? And eighties was sex, cocaine, and whatever. You know what I mean? Like that was that was common. That's just what everybody was doing. But I think you know musicians now are more health conscious conscious you know it seems like you know now everybody's you know bringing spirulina on the road or whatever you know what i mean or like trying to do raw juices or whatever or do or be vegan or something you know what i mean everybody's bringing their supplements you know and exercising you know what i mean that's mm-hmm. that's become the new norm for musicians you know talking about their health so yeah it's, it's very different uh and that can be a rude awakening I mean, I tell my musicians, I mean, or my students, I say, if you're lucky enough to get asked to travel somewhere, you have to know that a lot of traveling is what you don't, what you, what you're not, you don't learn that in school, that it's about making sure you get to your flight, you know, um, being able to, all that stuff, all that stuff, making sure you don't forget stuff, 
you don't leave stuff in the room. You know what I mean? Oh, or leave yeah. your past. Yeah. I've been there before. <laughs> yeah. Not me personally, but friends. No, no. I mean, I, I, I was in Poland in the fall and, and uh, one of the band members he left his, he left his passport in the room and we were on we're almost halfway to the airport. We had to turn back, got his passport. So by the time we got to the airport, I hear your little ones. <laughs> yeah, they're here. I'm sorry about that. That's cool. But you know what I mean? It's like stuff like that. It's it's all the stuff that, you know, like you said, you got out of, of school and then found the real world was different. Yeah, you know what I mean? It definitely is. And um I'm sorry we gotta wrap this up, <laughs> man. You you you're you're you definitely shared a lot of valuable knowledge with us and I think people are gonna benefit from that. I hope so. It's it's my pleasure to do it. Thank you so much for your time. Um, Thanks for I want to tell people how they can find you if they want to contact you. Okay. Um, you can go to my website, uh, georgecolligan.com. Um, you can check out my blog, which is uh, jazztruth.blogspot.com. Buy my new CD on Origin Records, on iTunes, and, um, and that's one, about it. One more time. What's the name of your CD? It's called The Endless Mysteries. All right. Yeah. And guys... If you don't know who George Colligan is, you got to listen to him. So it's definitely worth your time to listen. Go ahead and support. We got to support each other. Download that CD from iTunes. And uh, thanks a lot, George. I really appreciate you today. Oh, my pleasure. Anytime. That was the talk George Colligan and I had. And if you stuck around this long, thank you very much. I hope that our conversation was of some help to you we had to end our conversation abruptly there in the end but hopefully it was still helpful to you so we talked about some things that we talked about were the combination of luck and hard work that bring about opportunities we also talked about the snowball effect and what happens once people found out that George was playing piano he got invitations to play more gigs and as we know, he had a very or has a very successful career as a sideman with, wow, over 125 recordings under his belt. We also talked about the whole idea of being freelance anything is tough. So just hang in there, guys. You're not alone. Just don't give up. Keep pressing forward. Be current. Be realistic without being negative. Be versatile versatility can get you through these are all lessons that george has taught us today i want to say thanks again for pressing play before we part i want to ask you to share this episode with a friend if you liked it there's an icon on your phone that will allow you to share a link it's a square with the arrow pointing out of the square if you're listening on your computer just go ahead and copy and paste the link and post it on social media for me please I'll be very thankful trying to grow an audience, trying to help as many people as possible. That's all. Until the next episode, have a great day. God bless.